If your company hasn't already been asked for data related to your carbon emissions, you likely soon will be. Welcome to the Circular Future, your access to thought leaders and innovations to help you be a business sustainability champion, even if it's not your core job. I'm your host, Stephanie McClarty, Head of Sustainability at Quantum Lifecycle Partners. We recorded this conversation live in front of an audience at the eScrap e-reuse conference in New Orleans. Hey, everybody. Welcome here at eScrap e-reuse conference. Um, yeah, we're really excited about this. Um, I'm going to introduce Stephanie McClarty. She's head of sustainability at uh, Quantum Lifecycle Partners. She has, has created with her team... Uh, a really, really interesting podcast called The Circular Future that talks about circularity and sustainability as a whole, certainly, you know, tied to electronic sustainability, but really thinking big picture. Um, you've been doing it for, you, you did one season and now this is, you're doing your second season now? We got renewed for season two. You yes. got renewed. Stephanie connected with Sarah and I earlier this year and we looked into the podcast a little bit and we had some conversations and we thought it would just be a really kind of new type of content to, to do a conversation taped or recorded here at the conference. Um, and so that's what we're going to do here. Stephanie will be explaining some of the details, uh, but yeah, definitely enjoy it. It's going to be a great conversation and make sure you go back and, and listen to all of the Circular Future podcasts because they are really informative and really well done. So I'll hand it over to you, Stephanie. Thanks, Dan. And including episode 11 with Dan and Sarah on this conference. So good afternoon, everyone. How's everyone doing today? As we're doing this live at eScrap eReuse, let's get started. Over 70 countries and about half of large U.S. companies now have net zero targets. Both of these numbers are increasing significantly year over year and filtering down the supply chain. So today we're talking about how to make sense of this whole area of carbon footprints, what there is to know and what your company can do to be prepared. To dive into this topic, we're joined by Natalie Betts, Assistant Vice President of Sustainability at ISRI. Natalie has worked in circularity and recycling for over 10 years and now heads sustainability at ISRI, the leading US trade association for the recycled materials industry. And as we're doing this live at eScrap eReuse, let's get started. That's cool. I love it. I love the energy. So welcome to the podcast, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I know that ISRI does a lot of great programming around ESG, environmental social governance, and carbon emissions is one important aspect of that. So as we're talking about carbon emissions and carbon footprint, what are we talking about really? Yeah, so that term carbon footprint really refers to what are the 
carbon emissions from your company's operations. And, you know, actually we use the term carbon emissions, but we're actually really talking about a set of about seven greenhouse gases that all contribute to atmospheric warming. So any emission that your company is responsible for directly or indirectly um, goes into your carbon footprint. And we really use that term so that we come up with what is the baseline of what is happening today and as a starting point for reducing that. So when we talk about carbon emissions, how do we measure them so that we're all talking about the same thing? Yeah, so we do tend to measure them in terms of carbon dioxide. So you'll see an abbreviation sometimes, MTCO2E. It stands for metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent. So rather than have, you know, a metric for methane and a different metric for the, you know, fluorinated gases, we just you know, well, we don't, but the scientists come up with how does, you know, one ton of methane impact the environment and how does that compare to what one ton of carbon emissions does? And they make an equivalency so we can have one measure that we look at. So you'll often hear carbon, it's kind of a short term or a, a shorthand in some ways for climate impact. That's true. And, and we sometimes hear greenhouse gas emissions, GHG, carbon footprint, we're essentially all talking about the same thing. Yeah, generally we are. I mean, you sometimes see some nuances. For example, you can use the term carbon neutral and measure only carbon. Whereas if you say net zero, that can usually mean, it should mean all greenhouse gases. So sometimes we use it as shorthand, but it's best to talk about greenhouse gases because that's really what we're ultimately trying to reduce is all greenhouse gases so that we can limit our impact on climate change. Right. Before we dive too much deeper, I want to get into the why. Why is it important that companies talk about carbon emissions, measure them, and report on them? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to a couple of things. Um, one is just that people are going to ask for the, that information, and so you need to know the answer about your own company. So we're seeing more climate disclosure laws coming into effect. There's one kind of being discussed and might be passed in California, right, that's being kind of um, discussed right now in their legislature. That would be the f a first in the U.S., um, but it's already been passed in the EU. It's not just from government, though. I mean, this really started as a conversation from the finance industry. That's who coined the term ESG. And then it's also from customers who are asking. So part of it is you're going to be asked for that information. Part of it is your own risk mitigation. So, you know, whether it's policies or other kind of climate impacts, you want to know what your kind of exposure to climate-related risks are. How much are you um, contributing to climate change and then therefore how can you reduce it and i think it's also you know for a lot of this audience in particular are these are all of you are environmental companies right it's environmental services is what you do and so i think it also is a reflection of what is likely a core value for your company mm. um, and then measuring your footprint look taking steps to reduce it it shows that you are taking seriously kind of something that is core to your business yeah and that's definitely true at quantum and Definitely true that we are getting asked more and more for our carbon data and targets, and we're about to release a, a target. And also on the regulation side, it's so fascinating. If Quantum were in the EU, and Quantum has 500 employees, 10 locations across Canada, uh, or nine across Canada, one in Costa Rica, we would actually have to start reporting and disclosing our ESG as part of their the new reporting requirements 
And so we know, even though we're in Canada, it's probably coming. And the other one is the new ISSB standards, the International Sustainability Standards Board for publicly traded companies. As of 2024, they will now have to start reporting on ESG. And so even if you're not required to report, you're being asked for this information. Right, right. Because you are part of someone's supply chain, likely, who is a public company or has decided to report on that information. So even though it may not be, you know, the regulation may not have you as an, you know, affected company directly, you being part of someone's supply chain means that it's going to kind of arrive at your doorstep too. Yeah, right. So question for the live audience and by show of applause... How many of the companies here have started reporting on their carbon emissions? Okay. Quite a few. That's great. Now, when we talk about carbon emissions, we talk about them in terms of scopes, mainly scope one, two, three, but also now scope four. And it's important to break down and understand each of those scopes. So let's do that. So When we talk about scope one emissions, Natalie, what are we talking about? Yeah, scope one refers to your direct emissions. So these are the emissions that come from your company's operations directly. So it's something that's happening on site at your facility or within your company's like owned assets. So for example, the vehicles that you own, or even if you lease, if your company and your operations leases a vehicle and runs uh, some kind of route, then the fuel that's combusted through that vehicle is part of your direct emissions. So this is stuff that is in your control. It's a, you know, where we always start when we look at carbon footprint, because it's where you have the data easy and direct. Well, not always easy, but you have it somehow or can get it. Um, and that's where, you know, your own company actions and your operations are measured. Right. Okay. So scope one, direct emissions, direct burning of, of fuels. Absolutely. What about scope two? Scope two is the most narrow of all the scopes. So it's easy to talk about. It's the indirect emissions from purchased electricity. So it's not something that you are, you're not combusting the fuel yourself, but you're buying the electricity for your operations. And so you are responsible in that footprinting and the calculation for the emissions at the power plant and at the utility. Right. One of the things that's really surprised me about quantum scope two emissions is that it really depends on the province that we're in. Absolutely. And I would imagine it's the exact same here in the U.S. It is, yeah. And the bulk of our scope two emissions comes from one province, which largely generates electricity through fossil fuels, even though it's not the bulk of our operations. Right. Yeah, that's definitely true in the U.S. as well. So, um, and we might get into this later, but the EPA has a calculator that you can use. It's called the Simplified GHG Calculator Tool. It's free. You can download it on off their website. And they have, you know, their scope two section, and it's based on the regional power grid. So you just put in how many kilowatt hours you use, and then they can generate that emissions figure for you. But it, yeah, where you are in the country really makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. And you can get that data of your usage from your utility your bills. Utility, yes. It's all that information mm-hmm. gathering stage. Yeah. Okay. What about the big scope three emissions? I'm really setting that up. <laughs> yeah. So scope three is the most, I guess, unwieldy category. Um, it's all the other indirect emissions, just kind of everything else that um, you, you happens because your company operates, but you don't 
directly emit essentially. So this includes, there's like 15 different categories. Um, this includes things like your employees commuting to work. It includes business travel. It includes purchase goods and services, which is huge. So anything you buy, someone else emitted something likely to make that product and to get it to you. And so that is part of scope three as well. Um, there's sort of a general rule of thumb that if you estimate that scope three is over 40% of your emissions, then you should be calculating it and including it in your inventory of your carbon footprint. So um, for some companies, that means that you're only gonna do scope one and two. Um, almost, I would say every company has to do scope one and two to, if they're doing a measurement, but some also need to do scope three calculations because it's a big part of their footprint. Um, so an example outside of our sector, if you're in the retail sector, almost certainly, Scope three is almost all of your emissions because you're not making anything new, but you're buying all kinds of stuff that has been made. And so that's where your emissions is. Um, another example would be like if you're a logistics provider who uses almost all outsourced transportation, then that outsourced transportation is falling in your scope three. So depending on your business and how you operate, how much you directly do versus how much you pay third parties to do, that's going to shift you know, whether you're including scope three or not. Very true. The other interesting thing about scope three is that your emissions are your customers' scope three emissions. And yes. I would say our leading sustainability customers are now asking us for data, basically saying how many emissions, how much emissions are being generated when you recycle our product, when you remarket, refurbish, our product and they're right. getting granular and it's because mm -hmm. they're applying it to their scope three emissions. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why we are hearing about it from customers is that you are part of their scope three. So that is why you're hearing about it. And I think, you know, some of these companies have had these goals for a long time, but they're getting more granular with their scope three emissions. So they might have previously, for example, used like spend based analysis. So, oh, did I spend X number of dollars on buying pencils. Well, there's a factor out there that you can get that says, on average, you know, one pencil <laughs> emits this much carbon. So people started with that level of analysis, and now we're getting much more um, deeper into it to mm -hmm. say, okay, well, who do I specifically work with, and how much does that vendor emit to make one pencil, right? So That's right. we're getting more and more sophisticated as time goes on. And with net zero targets, then they're needing that information so that they can do their calculations. And an interesting distinction, carbon neutral means that your scope one and scope two emissions will basically net out to zero. Scope three is optional. Net zero is scopes one, two, and three netting out to zero. Exactly. And I, th I believe also carbon neutral can mean only one product. So I think re like this last week, that term was in the news because Apple released its first carbon neutral product. So you can like narrow it down to one product. Net zero is usually a company-wide goal. So you're looking at all of your operations. Right. Now, what about scope four? Mm -hmm. Because this is something that nobody knew until really, I think just this year, it's when it really became in the discussion. What are scope four emissions? Yeah, so scope four is referring to avoided emissions. In some ways, it's a misnomer that, you know, you say one, two, three, and four, and it sounds like it stands next to the other three. 
Um, but it's really not part of your own carbon footprint. It's what you are, your product can do for your customer in avoiding other emissions. So um, my boss at Isri, Cheryl Coleman, likes to give the example of cold water tide. So um, if you buy cold water tide, it helps you at your home, you know, emit less because you're not having to heat up your water. But tide doesn't get to count that. That's their scope for. Um, and so that's what, you know, it's very important in our industry because that's a huge component of what our benefits are for our customers is that, you know, by using a recycled product, you can use less energy in production. You can avoid emissions related to the mining and extraction of a virgin product. So that is an incredibly important part of the discussion for us. It's just not part of this one measurement of your own carbon footprint. That's right. You can't use scope four to become net zero or carbon neutral. That's correct. Yeah. Right. And yet, at the same time, we still need to talk about it and tell those stories because those stories are so powerful and important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would think of your scope for your avoided emissions as any other component within your sustainability report. You know, do you have a great safety program? You, you know, just because it doesn't count for your carbon footprint doesn't mean it doesn't count, right? It absolutely counts. It's part of your story. It providing those numbers also helps your customers tell their story. And so they're going to, you know, be appreciative of that kind of data that you provide. Um, so it is an important thing to consider, even if it's not kind of part of this one metric. So I want to make sure we talk about what companies can do to be prepared. Cause mm -hmm. we know as we're talking, it's important to, to measure your carbon footprint. You're probably going to get asked about it if you haven't already. So what can companies do now to be prepared on the carbon footprint front? Yeah, I think the, the number one thing to start doing is to figure out what data you already have that you need to do these calculations and what are you missing and what processes do you need to change internally um, to get that data. So in one example um, would be like your fuel usage, right? So um, of course, every company is going to know how much money they spent on fuel, right? You have those invoices, but it's not always tracked how many gallons of fuel you're using. Um, and so if you're not tracking the number of gallons, you might need to go start doing that or go back into your other records. And maybe you have it on the individual invoices, but it's not rolling up into any, any one data point, right? So those kind of data points you will need, um, you know, making sure you have your power bills somewhere stored and you can access that to put in the calculator. Like that's really going to be the first step is figuring out where you are as a company on data for these kind of key areas. It's going to be, you know, fuel used by your equipment, fuel used by vehicles, electricity usage, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And I, if you're struggling to figure out what specific data to pull, you could always do a materiality assessment first. We did that at quantum just yes. to determine what was significant and therefore which data we should pull. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a materiality assessment is really your first stop on doing any of your ESG work because you have to figure out what's important to your business, what's important to your stakeholders about your business and really prioritize your actions from there so that you can stay focused on what matters to you and what matters to the people in your company's sphere. Mm -hmm. So when you have data pulled, what would you suggest you do next? So, I mean, I would suggest you then start with the EPA simplified calculator. That's going to be your one and two um, emissions. And there's really only, it's like about five categories of information you need. You plug it in and um, 
And there you go. You have a good, good first estimate. So that's really your next step is you can calculate it using a neutral, free, available tool. Um, we at ISRI, we also offer for our members, we have a workshop on this topic and we're going to be offering also downloadable data sheets through our ESG toolkit that will like help you just do some of this process for you a little bit to say, okay, you need this data point. This is how you would want to pull it. Um, and that will get you a little bit further along in the process. Yeah, the, the toolkit sounds great and, and perfect for companies. And it also really affirms, don't do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. Leverage your memberships like ISRI and absolutely. other organizations that you're a part of that already have resources. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a space like ESG is a space where a lot of people are more open and collaborative, you know, and so I think that's a wonderful component of this. And so, yes, absolutely don't do it alone. Reach out to your peers who have done it. Um, and because really this is about our whole industry telling our story in addition to your company telling your own story. That's right. So as we close this out, I always like to ask for one piece of advice because I think we've thrown a lot of information out there. So if there was one thing that you would suggest companies to do in this space to advance themselves and to prepare in terms of carbon emissions, Mm -hmm. what would that be? Um, I would say, you know, maybe sounds very basic, but pull together a team, you know, Mm -hmm. so find a project team. Cause again, you don't have to do it alone within your company. Um, bring together, people from all different parts of your organization um, around this topic. And, you know, we're talking about carbon footprints specifically, but I would say you think about carbon footprints as one element of your whole ESG strategy, because sometimes we get stuck on the E, but the whole, all of it matters and all of it will be asked. And I actually see a lot of um, these customer surveys asking about, you know, social policies in place and what are your governance policies? So, you know, I would say pull together your team, and, you know, start talking about this materiality assessment. And so, and there's also, there's resources from, from ISRI, from groups like GRI, from SASB. Um, and I would also recommend give yourself um, some grace and some patience to learn the jargon of this space. Because at the end of the day, it's not rocket science, but it just takes some time to get used to the language within ESG and to kind of cut through that until you start to see, oh, like, of course, that's that. We already do that, you know, and and kind of apply this universal framework that's designed to apply to all companies and figure out, oh, yes, that's, I see now how that applies to my business. So pull together your team, give yourself some time and patience to learn the language and then get started. Um, And even a little bit of progress is amazing. Absolutely. And I love that grace and patience. (laughs) Thank you so much. That was amazing. Yeah, thank you so much. This was fun. (laughs) This definitely was fun. And remember, if you're looking for a Canadian partner in ITAD and e-waste recycling, we'd love to chat. Head on over to quantumlifecycle.com and contact us. This is a Quantum Lifecycle podcast, and the producer is Sanjay Trivedi. Thank you for being a circular future champion in your company and beyond. Logging off.